Once again, to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike. In a moment, uh, back-to-back Oscar race checkpoints coming for you this week as we have a whole bunch to recap going on in the movie world, Michael. Yeah, this will be a two-part recording that we're doing on Wednesday, June 15th. Essentially, part one here today is going to be all the news. Like, we've got a ton of awesome news to cover. Stuff about Oscars 2024, that is. uh, The 96th Academy Awards. And we'll do some box office work in some reviews uh, jurassic world dominion hustle etc industry news all kinds of news in this episode then in the next episode michael we kind of broke it down where we're going to do all the trailers that we've missed and there's some huge summer movies and some huge fall Mm -hmm. movies that we got trailers for some huge movies that are not coming out till 2024 for that matter mission impossible etc and i had a I, I had a trip to Tribeca and some at-home viewing of the Tribeca Film Festival that I'll give you guys kind of a you know a 15-20 minute review bundle segment in that one as well. So stay tuned for part two of this Oscar race checkpoint. But yeah, it's been a bit. We need a big Oscar race checkpoint, I think, to catch up on everything. Yeah, especially with what's going on with one of the biggest studios going right now. That would be WB. They had a huge shakeup, and then they had a bunch of news coming as a result of the shakeup, and it's affecting a bunch of different uh, potential awards uh, players in movies coming up, and it's certainly affecting the day-to-day operations of the studio in whole. So what's the headline coming out of uh, WB having to do with Joker, Mike? Yeah, it's Boris Kitt had the exclusive from The Hollywood Reporter a few days ago that broke Twitter. Um, I think it was Monday night that Mm. Lady Gaga is in early (laughs) talks to join Joker 2, Fali Adu, as Harley (laughs) Quinn opposite Joaquin Phoenix uh, in what will be, shockingly, a musical from director Todd Phillips. Yes, the same Todd Phillips that directed Joker 1. So, Michael, this comes two weeks after the rumors that Todd Phillips would gain an increased role at the DCEU headquarters there. Uh, So Gaga as Harley in this musical is the script that Todd Phillips released the cover page on Instagram of. So he had a working title that everybody was like, "Ah, it's just a working title. It's kind of ridiculous, even though I think the... The meaning of folly ado is more sinister. And we had a photo on that same Instagram post of Joaquin Phoenix reading that script in Ooh, black and white. Ooh, he was reading. <laughs> no, you're right. And both stories uh, did, in fact, make the internet and make a film Twitter there go wild. Somebody put it so great. It was, it, they said, oh, God, I can't, I should have written this down, but mm-hmm. it was something to the effect of the. News of the Joker sequel being a musical is the perfect troll job because everybody who wanted a Joker sequel is now outraged that it's a musical and everyone who didn't want a Joker sequel can't wait to see it because it's a musical. It is total backlash city from the hardcore (laughs) DC fans because the hardcore DC fans want the badass factor. And even with, I mean, that movie was mired in Mm -hmm. ugliness Mm -hmm. and 
it was so grim it was cool kind of it just went so dark it was cool to to most of them i would say and and they get the critique they do i mean i've t- i've talked to the same people you do and i think they understand that it was just all effed up and supposed to be most of them hopefully yeah but yeah. joker joker was badass there's no denying how kind of hyper masculine it was to, to a surreal level yeah like gritty to the nth degree uh, type thing bordering on ludicrous action movie at times, but to make that a musical, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I stare. I tweeted that too. I stared at those words for like five minutes. I have no idea what that tweet means, but okay. So, internet breaking stories from WB, each having to do something at least either directly or tangentially related to the ecosystem of Joker's sequel. So, let's start with Harley Quinn. Hmm. Lady Gaga getting cast on this role going to be. Rumored to be playing opposite Joaquin Phoenix. It's not finalized yet as of this recording. Do you think this is going to have any impact as to whether we see Margot Robbie in the role again? Yeah, I do. I do. Because this is a billion-dollar property. And even if the sequel is close to that, even I would say it's probably going to be up there. I mean, it has to. It has to affect her. We haven't I would think seen. So too. I, I know they keep talking about, oh, we got multiple storylines right. going. We haven't seen these parallel you know, characters working together yet, have we? Well, we've never seen anything like this if Margot... Like, she's... Okay, Margot Robbie's still announced for Gotham City Sirens, but we've never seen two bona fide A-list actors playing the same character right. for the same studio at the same time before. It's and gonna kind of happen with Michael Keaton and Robert Pattinson if this Flash movie ever does Sure. Come but other than sure. that, no. Yeah, and even that's completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the kind of the problem that DC's running into right now. They're relying on all these different fractured universes, which is completely at odds with what's going on behind the scenes right now at Warner Brothers and DC, which is really weird. I don't I like you tend to think Margot, we may have seen the last of Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's going to be a box office type thing, and they're going to be naturally compared by idiots like us if there are two dueling Harley Quinns going on in separate worlds at one time. And so naturally, the zeitgeist is going to be, well, this is the more successful Harley Quinn. Look at the box office numbers. And where are you right now with Margot Quinn? I mean, you have two Jokers, mm-hmm. neither of which have to do with Margot Quinn. You have a Black Adam movie coming out that if, if that's going to lead up to Shazam and DC in one of their three universes right now, is leading up to this Avengers-type team-up. Where is Margot Quinn fitting into that role? Is Black Adam going to go with with Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie? Is it going to go to Robert Pattinson, Batman? Is it going to go... I doubt it's going to go with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. It seems to be taking... That world seems to be taking place in a different time frame. So I, I, there's just a billion questions that have to do with Margot Robbie, who's been great in this role for DC and WB and has made money in this role and has been this pillar for the DC WB world where... She wasn't even supposed to be in Suicide Squad, but the WB executives kind of made James Gunn rewrite her a part into that movie to keep that character alive. So this is almost a complete 180 to me that the studio is kind of, I'm not saying turning their back on Margot They're Robbie, pivoting. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a harsh pivot. Yeah, and it makes sense because her career is going, at least her blockbuster career, Margot Robbie is going towards Barbie. I mean, Barbie's going to be a smash smash yeah. hit worldwide we think 
with Greta Gerwig behind it. Maybe it's maybe it's a film Twitter blown out of proportion thing, but I, I don't think so. I think that's going to be massive, and I think she's kind of pivoting in that direction. It's kind of hard to have her as Harley and Barbie at the same time. I mean, she's capable of it, but it's just very strange. The same fans are not the same fans. So that's going on in front of the camera at WBDC, and the other part of this is what's been going on behind the camera. Todd Phillips who is in a position right now to me, he could become the DC Kevin Feige behind the scenes if he wants to be. And here's the thought map that goes into that. In early June, there was a major shakeup at Warner Brothers upon their sale to Discovery that saw longtime WB chairman Toby Emmerich step down and former MGM film heads Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abdi tasked with running WB New Line's film division. Now, as THR and other trades tell it, that's just one of three major changes coming to Warner Brothers under the vision of new Warner Discovery CEO David Zaslav, who was the longtime Discovery CEO and has now assumed that position with the new merger here between those two studios. Zaslav reportedly wants to model this studio in the vein of how Bob Iger structured Disney's content creation during his time as head of the House of Mouse in the way that Disney has Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar slash the Disney animation. Those are all vertically integrated under one Mickey Mouse umbrella, but they're mm-hmm. all separate in their day-to-day operations. Zaslav reportedly wants the same for WB, with the three pillars for WB being Warner Brothers New Line Films, WB Animation, and the DC movie. So, by the sounds of it, Zaslav wants there to be a single voice leading the vision of all things DC. That, according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, he's already reached out to Todd Phillips about being an advisor in such a capacity, which to me means a couple things. One, like I said, Todd Phillips, if he wanted to be DC's Kevin Feige or something akin to that, it sounds like the opportunity is sitting there for him. There's a working relationship, I guess, between Zaslav and, and, and Todd Phillips anyway. They seem to be on good terms with each other if you read everything that you can read. And two, Zaslav sounds like he wants DC to have a singular vision, which, again, brings up the question... Why are you bringing in Lady Gaga to play the same character that's already established by Margot Robbie? But I guess the the more proper question is what we just started this conversation with. Is Robbie done? Because if you want a singular vision, it doesn't make sense to have the same character played by two A-list actors in all these fragmented different worlds that are under the DC umbrella right now. They're kind of caught, right? They have... They have multi, multi, I don't know, they have multiple takes on these characters. The Aquaman side is obviously coming from the Justice League hits that kind of pittered out and, and declined in the Zack Snyderverse. Mm-hmm. I would say that's, it's, that's fair. I mean, the, mm-hmm. those, those movies grossed less and less and the profit was less and less. So they're, if they're going to pivot to the Todd Phillips way of doing things, kind of back to the overly dark way of uh, doing things. And yeah, Lady Gaga makes sense as this next Harley Quinn if they believe in that character and if they believe in this script that he just wrote and submitted to them that they must know about. So that is a a huge sign of confidence in this particular musical script that Todd Phillips uh, must have gotten a lot of industry and a lot of company support for. So that for, for them to be galvanizing behind this direction could mean something similar to what Kevin Feige did at Marvel. We saw, and we covered this when we did our MCU rewatch, rewatch, Mike. He got one big hit, 
with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. He wasn't necessarily as intimately involved with the Hulk, but then he started kind of being that guy for Thor and Captain America. And once you string two or three hits together, now you could do a team-up movie, and boom, it becomes the MCU. So right. it, it's, it doesn't have to necessarily start with five good movies all released at once. It could start with just, hey, Todd Phillips, you, you made one good movie, make two, and then give us an idea for a third. And they, they did that with James Wan in the whole Conjuring universe. And if he just keeps spinning off one after another, maybe it's not necessarily a 20-movie plan at the onset. It's just a five-movie plan at the onset. And Todd Phillips, he, he could totally handle that. But are we going to be faced with a DC cinematic world that's all the tone of Joker? Well, they don't want to abandon the Aquaman smash hit yet, the billion-dollar hit that that is. They don't. They didn't want to abandon the Flash. And they're so still how do you reconcile all this? If you want a singular vision, you have all these fragmented worlds within DC right now. It's how which, they I said. mean, the biggest irony of all is Marvel having an in-universe storyline through line that's talking about all these different multi-worlds and dimensions and stuff and how that may have a give people a a meta understanding of how to compartmentalize what's going on in the dc world on screen which is hilarity and it's irony but nonetheless like i don't know if you want a singular vision for dc i don't know how you reconcile i don't think they want a singular vision i don't think they want a singular vision yet if todd phillips makes five great movies in a row then yeah they may pivot into that direction entirely and and put all their chips behind it however they don't want to do that yet because they're putting 200 million dollars into an aquaman sequel because of course they will the last one made a billion Mm. so they're not abandoning the last take on the dceu because of course they shouldn't they have this rationalization linking the two things basically saying we're gonna do multiple storylines at multiple times and isn't this fun and it's a bunch of bs but i don't think they care necessarily because they've seen it kind of work even those two distinct companies or three distinct companies working on marvel stuff they saw sony's takes on marvel fox's takes on marvel and Mm. then disney's takes on marvel or what eventually became disney's takes on marvel marvel's takes on marvel with the marvel studios so you had kind of three different tracks going for the marvel properties before it ultimately became one more cohesive mcu I think DC's kind of working that same plan, but it's just within themselves right now. Or at least that's what they're telling themselves, is my guess. Maybe they should just have, like, DC comic movies and then DC dark. Because that worked well for Universal when they had the dark world, so... But, like, have all the Joker stuff be DC dark, keep everything gritty and Todd Phillipsy in that way, and the Look, DC comic can have your Black Adams, your Shazams, and your Aquaman still. This is such an intriguing property, though, Folly do this joker too mike Mm. because the definition like look it up on wikipedia people it's quote a delusion or mental illness shared by two people in close associate association it's a shared psychosis it's a disorder not necessarily in the new dsm-5 which considers the criteria to be insufficient or inadequate in terms of evidence of this disorder however it is still classified as a delusional disorder, as a part of the schizophrenia spectrum and, and quote, other psychotic disorders out there. So there, there is basis for this. And if, you know, that Joaquin Phoenix scene in the bathroom of him dancing 
is going to, I don't know, just go exponentially down that road of delusion, then, yeah, the shared disorder with a Harley Quinn-type character of a Lady Gaga's voice talent could make this quite the... (laughs) quite the shared delusion i would say and it's dark and sinister as 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 all hell so i would if yes i think perhaps we're going to get a lot of musical numbers but i'm not necessarily thinking this is going to be west side story mike this this might be what the fans want in the end it might be i think you you talking about that i think i just figured it out in my mind and i've now sold myself on what this movie is going to be and i think you're right i think it's going to be this heinous, awful stuff happening in real life, but between we're going to shift between what's actually going on and what's going on in the minds and visions of the characters, and they'll think it's like this over overblown happy musical type thing, right? Because he's in the hospital and she's his doctor. If they stick to like right. the canon, right, and then they share this disorder and it, they become, you know, like they'll be singing and having and, this big crescendo yeah. of this love song, but in reality, what's actually happening is the two of them are stabbing everyone in the asylum trying to make their way out. Terrifying. That's yeah. that's scary stuff if he pulls it off. If yeah. he pulls it off. And I think I think the hardcore fans and the film Twitter fans who love musicals like us, well, well both of us both groups will like it and this will be a smash hit. But <laughs> degree of difficulty and the ambitiousness and the innovativeness of that, obviously this could fall off a cliff. It's execution dependent. So again, I think there's there's th- there's confidence in this storyline if the the head of the new company is putting his eggs behind uh, Todd Phillips and putting them in that Todd Phillips basket right now. So that, that makes me that I mean that's that's not that's the opposite of a red flag. That's a green flag, right? Or a checkered flag? What, what's the flag thing in NASCAR? <laughs> White flag, yeah. White flag <laughs> means go. Different types of flags. It's interesting too. THR said that uh, Phillips is not going to be at least yet giving a uh, executive title for WB, and I. I the way it read in the article suggested to me that maybe Phillips may not want the gig, may not want the responsibility of running the entire DC, and he's not all that familiar with the uh, the canon of all the comics and the uh, players, the, the the characters anyway. But uh, yeah, definitely something to keep keep an eye on as we go forward here and talk about what is to come with the DC world under the tutelage and vision of uh, David Zasloff, the CEO, uh, and Todd Phillips, the director. But we can move on, and we'll talk about another big name in the movie world, Apple. They landed a Brad Pitt Formula One film from Top Gun Maverick director, director, if I could speak, Joseph Kaczynski, Michael. Yeah, speaking of flags and cars and stuff. Hey, now. uh, Look, we mentioned this last week in our box office uh, over-unders, but we didn't discuss just how massive a budget this is. This Brad Pitt Formula One movie from the Top Gun director, Mike, was bought or, or, or is priced at 140 million. I don't know what Apple paid for it, but they're going to have to put a production budget of 140 million behind this film. That's the second giant budget from Apple that we've talked about because the uh, the Will Smith Antoine Fuqua movie had a price tag of 200 a budget price tag of 200 million when we were talking about it, didn't it? Yeah, this is definitely a pivot for massive streaming services that we saw from the Gray Man and Don't Look Up at, at Netflix. Netflix kept doing the whole gamut uh, of of every level movie, especially the mid budget and the small budget, which made us so proud of them, despite the fact that they're kind of the all consuming monster that of the of the industry that we're also terrified of and afraid of. But look, we we heard the words from Netflix stock 
representatives, whatever. I forget who said it at Netflix, but they were talking about doing less movies, yeah. doing bigger budgets. And look, Apple's been doing this all along. Netflix also has been doing it with the red notices, etc. But now we're seeing very clear evidence of Apple and Netflix functioning as kind of typical movie studi- studios of the modern age, Mike, which, again, scares me as, as much as it impresses me. <laughs> I you think know? it's, a, it's a, it was a matter of time, though. I mean, it's not like Apple we and Netflix. We said this is... four years ago, didn't we? We yeah, said it's eventually not, they're, they're going to start. For, for their pockets, you know? They're going to start functioning as normal right. studios. It's going to happen. Right. And here it's happening. Sure. So, again, our powers of prophecy, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> no, Don't I, worry. I'm We're going to talk mad. about the Jurassic Park's box office where I'll take some, some beatings on our powers of prophecy. Uh, one of us. Yeah. You'll, uh, you did well, but I. Don't worry. I, I find a way to spin it and make fun of everyone else but me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Michael, all right, I need to know because I don't have as much history with Julia Garner as you do. Julia Garner of The Assistant of Ozark. You have to watch Ozark. Ozark. I don't, it's, it's inexcusable you've watched all this TV and not Ozark. I have not watched Ozark, but the one of the stars, one of the standouts especially as from what I've heard of the final season of Ozark mm-hmm is being offered the role of Madonna and film Twitter is on fire. I mean, to the shoe fits, right? If the spiky bra fits, you gotta like, <laughs> as soon as I saw the shortlist for actresses and Florence Pugh's name was on there and a couple other big names, I said, if Garner doesn't get this role, I don't know what any of us are doing here because she looks so similar to a young Madonna as it is. And I think she's going to mm. crush this role. She's a great actress. My only question is going to be the uh, potential Oscars legs of it. Can she sing or will they just dub this? Do you have any idea? Does she sing in the show I don't at know. All? No, she does not sing in Ozark at all. Um, I can't imagine. That's it. I cannot yeah. imagine that, that the voice she has in Ozark singing, nor the one that she has when she's playing Anna Delvey singing. So I don't know. Is Maybe Anna, she can. Is Anna Delvey a material girl? Does she yell at Jason Bateman, Papa Don't Preach to me? <laughs> Is that the big speech in the final season? Is there a bottle episode where she goes to La Isla Bonita? (laughs) Isla Bonita, isn't it? Isla? I forget. Like a virgin. I'm a dope. I'm a dope. Like Uh, a virgin. Ray of light. Like a prayer. Madonna has said in interviews for her part, she's directing the film herself. Because while she's wanted to have this biopic made for a while, she finally Uh, took the helms of it. What? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. She's going to be the director of, and she has experience directing. It's just the question is, can she direct to an Oscars or awards caliber level? We haven't seen that from her yet. She has two films, feature films on her CV that she has directed, one from 2008, the other from 2011. But there's that wait, question. Wait, wait, can wait, 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 wait. Well, go ahead. What films did she direct? Look this up. I should have written. Look, I know she's directed music videos, and I know she's been in a terrible relationship with a uh, a good director who made a terrible movie with her and swept away. What the hell is Madonna directing? You didn't know she was a director. She directed uh, 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 Filth and Wisdom was the name of one movie in oh, two thousand eight, no. and W E was the name of the other one in twenty eleven. W right. She's worked with like some some names that are now pretty well established in the industry. S- some people like W.E. I, I, I did not know this. This is a blind James spot Darcy, for me. Oscar Isaac, Andrea Reesboro, David Harbour. Okay. Uh, well, shame on me because I don't know her, her prowess as a director. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but now, neither of those were 
you know, box office successes are that well received critically. But so there is that question. Can Madonna direct something to awards legs, especially if it's a movie about her and about her life? And then there's the question of other things going on behind the scenes, because she was supposed to Madonna write the script with Diablo Cody, who was originally mm-hmm. attached uh, to, to Penn. But in April of 2021, it was announced that Cody either quit because Madonna was too difficult in particular to work with. That was according to the UK Sun on April 1st of last year. Or Diablo Cody handed in a final draft of the script after weeks of collaborating with Madonna and moved on to a new project. That was according to Entertainment Weekly on April 2nd of last year. So believe what you want, though, it certainly looks more like Cody may have quit than she may have just gone on to something new because Aaron Cressida Wilson of Chloe and the Girl on the Train fame was brought in by Madonna and became a credited writer on this film as of June of last year. So it doesn't seem like the script was finalized. All right. I'm trying to be positive about this, but these are red flags. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. These are red flags. If this is true, uh, look, how dare I underestimate Madonna Barbara Streisand had an incredible directing and she uh, looked for her sake Mike Madonna said she wants to direct it herself because she wanted this film done for a while and she had she was sick of being told by men what the vision for the film should be so good for her for kicking this misogynistic industry in its ass and taking the helms rooting for her however we've seen strife right behind the camera production backstories from hell Mm-hmm. We've seen them go against, sure. you know, people who might be overtaking the greatest vanity project uh, in the history of vanity projects. Sure. I, this, oof, I, look, I hope it works out. I hope she nails it. I know she's got a lot at stake, but we've seen this, you know, we've seen this genre also sunk by the fact that people are afraid to tell stories that are negative about like that's what we've critically even the bow rap movie i mean it was hilarious how the rest of the band brian may came out the like world. white knights yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, brian <laughs> <laughs> I, I am just as a fan of biopics and musical biopics and intrigue about which stories i'd want to see on on screen i'll tell you right now I mean, I have somewhat of a sick attachment to Madonna anyway. I've, I I don't know what it is. I'm, I've been sure. a fan of hers forever. But, like, I am more intrigued by the idea of seeing the Madonna biopic than I am right now of seeing the Elvis biopic. Just all things being equal in a vacuum. Uh, I don't disagree, but it could be a train wreck. Uh, I mean, if yep, you have a could, flat... Absolutely. If you have a flat character in the central role of a biopic, that's a disaster. Yep. Period. I mean, there's no, you, it's inarguable that there is stuff to be concerned about. I agree. Oh, boy. Well, at least they, they got a good actress in mind with Jennifer, with uh, Julia Garner. And Diablo Excuse Cody me. had a couple passes at the script. I mean, she, you yep. know, and, and Cressida Wilson is not a, she's a name that's done uh, mainline features, AAA features as well. So, you know, there, there I would, I agree with you. There's more red flags than there are, again, white, green, checkered flags. But there, there's some reason for positivity and hope. Girl on the Train and Chloe weren't very good, though. Girl That's on the fun. Train was fun. It wasn't, you know, it, was, it wasn't It no, was what wasn't. everyone expected it to be. I agree. It, wa- it wasn't good. It, wasn't it was fun. Bad. How dare you? Allison Janney doesn't make bad movies. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> this is catching up on a, on a story from a while ago because Bradley Cooper's Netflix film Maestro about Leonard Bernstein, the composer of West Side Story or one, one thereof, He tweeted some first look photos, or Netflix did, where, look, Mike, I got to take everything back 
bad that I ever said about these white guys donning old man slash fat suits and looking hilariously ridiculous and ruining movies like Jar Jar Hanks or <laughs> Paolo <laughs> Leto. So this looks like Leonard Bernstein. And look, I'm not a Leonard Bernstein expert, but I did watch a documentary from Tribeca last year on him. And I did, you know, have to study his life and bio when we did kind of our West Side Story film studies last year. So this looks like the guy. Literally all I know about Leonard Bernstein is that he's the name shouted in the middle of REMs. It's the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) So uh, that's the extent of my knowledge here. But look, I mean, you're right. Bradley (laughs) Cooper looks good in these prosthetics. He looks like he doesn't look like somebody wearing makeup. He looks like an old man in these. And And here's here's what's impressive, Mike about these photos is that they're doing some candid shots of Leonard Bernstein in the old man makeup of Bradley Cooper on the streets. Like they're not dubbed photos. Mm. It's not like Photoshopped photos. Like we're getting a lot of Bradley Cooper on the New York city streets and it looks still looks like an old man. The makeup is holding up in real life. Well, this is the playbook lately too, right? Gary Oldman, Churchill, Remy Malik, Mercury, Renee Zellweger, Garland, If you want to stretch the rules, Joaquin Phoenix Joker to a certain extent. But if you want to win a lead acting Oscar while playing in a biopic, and that's why I say you're stretching the rules if you include Joaquin there, but it helps to have the studio leak set pictures of you in the prosthetics, in the makeup, in the outfits first. Especially when they look as good as these for Maestro. So, yeah, I'm, I'm... I'm thrilled at the potential for that movie. I, I know Netflix must be as well if they're releasing so much of it out there. And they're allowing the release of so much of the production photos that are all over the internet, mm-hmm. by the way. So really, really good uh, good vibes for Maestro. Michael, let's get into a box office update. And here I will review Jurassic World Dominion as well. Ugh. But yeah, Jurassic World Dominion, Ugh. huge hit, huge hit Ugh. at the domestic box office. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. You real like I'm disgusted. <laughs> You're disgusted because you went out on a limb. No, you know why I went out bet. on a limb, Mike. You know why I went out on a limb because I was stupid enough to have faith in the viewing public that they'd want better films for themselves. That's my fault. They let mm-hmm. me down. I wasn't wrong. They're wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. Just everybody else is wrong. (laughs) Uh, Let me finish with the numbers. Worldwide, Dominion grossed, uh, well, internationally, it grossed 247.4, including 52.2 in its first weekend in China, which was massive. And the cube for the the three days was, well, three days plus, because it opened in those 15 markets early, but 392.4. I did not update the gross from Monday, Tuesday. I think that's out by now. But uh, yeah, Jurassic World Dominion is tracking close to Fallen Kingdom, which did 148 in its first weekend, only three less, 145. And then Jurassic World 1, that was going to be the high point in the series regardless. That did 208 in its opening. We're so close We're so close to being in a world where every major blockbuster has to be taken seriously as far as an awards picture because all of the time and effort put into them from a story point of view, they they have to be... They're too big to fail. No, 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 not that they're too big to fail, though, but, like, I'm saying the opposite almost. Like, we're we're so close to a world in which, like, a Top Gun Maverick can be They're too big to suck? They're too big to suck? Yes, yeah, and that that they shouldn't be made if they do suck. 
And so putting money into a movie like this that does suck <laughs> hurts that world. Go ahead, it give does a review. Suck. It does suck. But look, it sucks, but it's a kid's movie. I, w- I was really surprised. Isn't it PG-13? The- yeah, but it's a kid's movie. This movie has no real danger. They're cartoon dinosaurs. There's no harrowing, harrowing scary scenes. I went to the fi- a 5 o'clock showing last Thursday of this movie, and there are a bunch of infants. <laughs> infants. They're like three-year-olds. Talk there about must have spitters. been like 20 spitting, spitting whack job little baby kids. <laughs> there are a bunch of little babies. I feel like they- Chappelle. There's a baby! <laughs> On the street. That was your Chappelle? Yeah, not, not, not a good Chappelle. But there was so many little tiny children just screaming throughout this movie, clapping, cheering. The, the horror sequences are so tame. They're so mild. The dinosaurs look like cartoons. <sighs> yeah, they got some practical effects. But the kids, the audience loved it. And I can't really blame them. If I was a baby, I probably would think this was the... This, you know the the level that I could handle in terms of scariness, and I don't care about the plot holes when I'm that age. Maybe I did because I'm a future me, but I'm a former me. <laughs> just a six but year look, old, also Mike, just nodding his head disapprovingly. <laughs> this felt yeah, but this felt like this felt like what kind of we've seen from other big studios where you're obviously going to give the parents and the older audiences you're going to throw them a bone and that's what all these legacy characters come in here and do they throw those older audiences a bone but really this is about the the dinosaurs chomp chomp for the kids and so Chris it's more Pratt. of a family movie than top gun maverick it, it is a it is a family friendly kid friendly blockbuster so if you're afraid that this was going to be terrifying like the original jurassic park was i mean look i don't know what the thresholds are of your kids right like if they're sheltered kids maybe they can't handle it but like this was like oh, this if you're a lame. bad parent then maybe you should <laughs> <laughs> like but the last movie was really scary because we had made like so many people died it was like a fast and furious we had dinosaurs attacking crowds of people at the theme park in the first one and then the second one we had so much yeah death. there was legitimately this- sc- I, mean, I mean i you know I refuse to watch any of them, but I do do my clips like I do. And there were some legitimately terrifying scenes. Yeah. But this one, none of that. None of that at all. There's one scene where one character is basically, you you know he gets eaten, but it happens off screen and it's silly. Come on. And you want it to happen anyway. Don't. I mean, I'm happy for theaters instead, but I I, don't support movies like this. You don't need to. I don't have the vitriol from this one. It probably should have been rated PG, and then that would have... Sure. You know, they would have... Sure. Yeah. Would have been so easier this is to more of a marketing thing. Yeah. This is a kid's movie. So I I don't hate it, Mike. Obviously, the, the Chris Pratt putting his hand up to dinosaurs, which was hilarious, by the way, because other characters start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the no-pitch signal from an umpire. <laughs> no, don't eat me. And it works. Come on. I mean, but that's been three movies. It's preposterous, obviously, these storylines. And there's a side character in this movie. She flies a plane, but then she's their best friend. Makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. I don't care because I get to see Jeff Goldblum do a, you know, the life will find a way. And I don't care. I'm happy to see them again. I'm happy to see Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I, I have no, I, I couldn't have less interest. 
Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, and let's move on to Top Gun Maverick, though, which held... Amazingly. S- stupendously, yeah. Again, 51.9 in its third domestic weekend, Michael. This is a much stronger hold than even I predicted because I was comparing it to Inception, which had a third weekend drop of 57%. But now we have, for Maverick, 28%. From from one to two, and only forty two percent from two to three. So this is we're we're heading into humongous territory for Top Gun Maverick uh, in terms of what it could gross. And that one point one number might be much more accurate as an over yeah. under for Top Gun Maverick. So you might be right on with that. I thought at least fifty percent drop this weekend, but did not even have a forty three percent drop. It's the tenth highest third weekend gross of all time for any movie i i mean look if the country's this united behind top gun maverick then maybe all we need is another war huh you know like i don't know what lesson to take that's obviously tongue-in-cheek but i don't know what the hell to take from this top gun maverick to 60 year old tom cruise is the most bankable lead movie star in the world again they the top gun is number one at the box office running up that hill is number one on the billboard charts somebody had the tweet <laughs> we're just running back 1986 right now we're just running it back baby give me those reaganomics scary. top it off scaring me but this movie crossed 400 million a couple days ago domestically internationally it's probably around the same but it was 353 and it was 395 before the weekend so it was about 750 Crazy. after just 18 days and it's probably close to 800 after 20 days when we finally get those numbers so it's going to be it's going to be well over it's going to crush 1.1 million 1.1 it's going to be around 900 million after a month. It, yeah, it's going to crush one point. I mean, one point one is. And I was conservative. I tried purposely to be conservative with a lot of those over under numbers because I, you know, the the volatility in the international box office markets and volatility with COVID still. If that rears its head and has a comeback of some kind, I tried to be conservative, but I, I think I went well under on a lot of these. If, if these numbers are anything to uh, be indicative of for the future, the next coming weeks here, these are. Big screen experiences, though, I would say. So that's what's cool about this. So you have two happening at the same time. And Doctor Strange was a big screen experience as well. I mean, that came in third. I mean, some of these movies that are... Uh, that are still doing well and you know still getting a couple million here or there everything everywhere all at once a big theatrical spectacle Downton Abbey absolutely the must see big screen film of the year a new era they have to make another one don't they I mean that's that's so financially bankable it's going to be around 90 million probably on a 20 million dollar budget so yeah there's four and a half dollars for every dollar of production there's profit there. Bob's Burgers. I don't know if that's making money necessarily. Twenty-eight. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna have like fifty million worldwide. I don't know what the budget was on that. The Bad Guys, though, that's been a huge hit mm-hmm. internationally, and that's still in the top five, even though it's also on demand PVOD. So that's that's around two twenty-three worldwide there. Yeah. Great numbers to see. I mean, it looks like. You know, if you cross every finger and appendage you have, and you're knocking on all the wood you can find. Maybe we're finally out of this COVID stuff after two years or whatever. So yeah, it's a, people are back in theaters. Rising tide for the theaters, yeah. Projections say that they're going to come back again next week or this weekend here for, for light year. I, I saw some early projections for that, and this is from Movie Gains with a Z. Mm. They're saying a 110 opening domestic weekend, 340 domestic total, 500 international total for an 840 worldwide take as their kind of over-under that 
is more than than you you and I both projected last week. We were you, we finalized a, uh, an over under of seven fifty with a three thirty domestic cum there uh, that that you posted, Mike. Uh, what do you think of the light year buzz right now? You've been following film Twitter more than me. It got banned in another country, China, the Russia, light and now Saudi year Arabia. Buzz. Look at you. The light, oh, there we go. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That's inadvertent. But 82% on Rotten Tomatoes on 103 reviews. Though, like I said, film Twitter a little bit underwhelming overall. I wonder where the line of demarcation is going to be with returning to the theater for a second viewing and how that's going to affect these box offices because Lightyear's Metascore isn't that good. Elvis's Metascore isn't, I mean, they're above average. It's like a 62 and a 61 respectively, but I wonder if that's even going, I mean, you know, Jurassic World Dominion's Metascore isn't that good. Does that have yeah. an effect? Does it matter that word of mouth is, is middling to negative for all of these movies? Or are they just going to, are they box office proof right now? Does it not matter at all? And people just are happy to be done with COVID and beat the heat in the summer and get into an air conditioned theater for a couple hours. Here's the representation that doesn't have thump critics of their own, though, and it's children. Parents, so yeah, kid, parents needing to get a couple hours off from watching their kids. I agree. If kids love it, just like with Jurassic World Dominion, yeah. if kids love it, then they're the ones who are going to return. Who gives a darn if you and I yep. return to the theater on a movie like this? Absolutely right. Completely agree. I, I still, you know, $800 million is a tall ask for a spinoff property, I think. But mm-hmm. so that 840, I mean, maybe they're exactly right, and I'll be off by $100 million. I still like the 750 number or close to $800 million, maybe a little below. Uh, but we'll see. I'm happy to see. Uh, I will see Lightyear 18 times in theaters before I step foot in a Jurassic World Dominion theater. Right. Uh, and, I, and I'm more excited to see Lightyear, too, especially because our friends uh, are kind of standing out. Uh, Minorities Report Film Podcast that we, we reposted their review. Mm-hmm. They, they loved it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Lightyear is at least on our speed, maybe. More, more so than Dominion, I would say, for sure. Well, what about Hustle, That the new Adam Sandler property? Adam Sandler now is just like Mr. Netflix, but you watch this. I almost hit play on it last night, but I am so... It's now a, mm-hmm. a, a, it's a principal thing between me and finishing up Mad Men here that I have to get done with All it. Right. So I, I cannot watch any movies before I'm done with Mad Men. So I did not You're watch focused. Hustle. Hustle has gotten, <laughs> Hustle's gotten great reviews. Maybe if John Hamm was in it, I would have hit play. But tell me about Hustle. What's the review? <laughs> You're focused on a show from the mid-2000s. If it wasn't Juancho Hernan Gomez and it was John Hamm trying to make the NBA, would I have been more inclined to watch it? Yes. The answer is yes. All right. I'm glad for you, Peggy. (laughs) Justice for Peggy. All right. Look, uh, I never finished Mad Men, by the way. I got like four or five seasons in. I never finished it. It took me a couple starts. I, I think this is my fourth time trying to get it, and I'm finally hooked. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, but I will give a positive review here for Hustle. Adam Sandler is is funny in this, and a lot of people said he wasn't funny. So I'm good to I'm glad to see the Sandman still making yeah. me laugh. Uh, it's a ridiculous sports story, but it's not on the ridiculous level of a draft day or something like that. At least I didn't think so. Like the coaching is good. The basketball montage is good. The hoops is great because it's all real life ballers. It's all NBA players or, you know, legendary street ball players involved here. So watch Herman Gomez. He's in the central role and he acts so far above other mainstream NBA stars from Bernard King to Ray Allen that we've reviewed on the show, Mike, in our basketball awards shows, because we love basketball movies. This guy is next level and compared to his, you know, his acting ability, maybe other than like a Rick Fox, Rick Fox or, I mean, but look, I mean, Kevin Durant was awful. <laughs> LeBron, Shaq, Rick Fox. Those are the best mm. 
NBA and actors Jorge I've Mira seen Jean. this phone. No. <laughs> Him, Michael Jordan, awful. Just awful. <laughs> Terrible. Never see them in another movie again. Don't cast them. But, like, Wancho is actually in the better side of that spectrum. So when you add the fact that you got, like, a Ben Foster chewing scenery as the bad, you know, NBA owner, the, the pissant, you know, owner's son who becomes into power. When you add, like, a cartoon villain like that and you have Kenny Smith. Oh, by the way, Kenny Smith acting circles around people in this wow. movie. He was tremendous. Kenny Smith is playing, like, this Rich Paul super agent named Leon. I forget his last name. Uh, he did a wonderful job. And, oh, my God, did Anthony Edwards act really well in this wow. yeah it's all on the court but i loved him as kermit wiltz michael how what about that name? name kermit wiltz what a great <laughs> so what's what's the better shot basketball sequences is it this movie or is it in winning time oh that's that's tough well winning time's so unique because it's all vintage mm-hmm. uh themed and it's like this like the filmmaking is really cool. The basketball is obviously much better in this because you have Anthony Edwards, who's one of the most athletic players in our game today, just going off and cool. doing crazy, you know, moves and stuff. And you got all these guys doing that, and you Trey Young just joining in, and he's, you know, you have all NBA players out there, which is awesome to see. And they're actually, I think it's more like Blue Chips, where they actually film them play, mm. and they just say they said go nuts. So that that's really cool. Now. There's some preposterous storylines. Like we're supposed to think Adam Sandler's a great scout for finding a six foot nine guy <laughs> in a five foot nine guy game, and he's blocking every single shot. Wow, what skills of scouting! Like Zion Williamson's old high school taste, where he's being guarded by the five foot five, hundred and ten pound white kid. Yeah, what the hell is going on? Like, how is this? It's like, yeah, it's like Jack. It's like Robin Williams against all the tidy kids. I mean, great, great job. You you found them. <laughs> so that's like funny and whatever. But there's there's awesome training man- montages on, and 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 it's cool stuff like a Rocky level stuff. But it's also stuff we don't get to see, Mike. I think they really went deep into ter- you know in, in terms of the actual basketball workouts that the guy these guys do to get ready for the draft combine so that all was re- it was really good I, I enjoyed the movie immensely and much more than I thought I would solid B grade B86 I can't necessarily give it a B plus but even though my enjoyment wow. level my mic 2 audience score is higher than perhaps my critical score good very good uh, all right so Little motivation there, little added bonus. If you haven't seen Hustle yet, to maybe uh, hit play on your Netflix, I, I'm I'm going to get to it eventually. But yeah, it's not bad. I mean, after your Celtics lose the finals, oh, you're going to be oh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> you're not going to be a click play. I haven't lost for, like, three at games least in a row year. since 2021. Haven't lost three games in a row with two of them being at home since November 1st of Look, 2021. Just going to say, can that. I admit something? Yeah. Can I admit something? Yeah. I found myself rooting for your guys this past game. It's the first time. They, the first they time. Awful. I cursed you is what happened because Tatum was awful. Smart was awful. Horford was awful. Like those three guys. But I found myself rooting for your team during the last game. Because nobody like you can't root for Draymond Green. You can't. You can't root for Draymond Green. Yeah, I, I didn't like I mean, I, I never despise the Warriors. I've always kind of liked them, but I don't need them to win another one for me. I found myself rooting for your team. Just get it to I can't seven. believe it. We're recording this on Wednesday. It'll be out there. Just get it. Win, <laughs> win Thursday. Win at home. Just get it to seven. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because you pooped your pants. All your best players pooped, your, pooped know, their pants. I know. And Steph had a bad game. We couldn't capitalize. Oh, Not, a lot of bad yeah. stuff. A lot of bad stuff going the Celtics way. So now I won't be watching You're this young. movie ever again. 
All right. Let's wrap up with some award season news. Well, PGA and BAFTA set their dates, and these are some intriguing dates because, look, we've been covering this for five years, so this will be our sixth year. As a reminder, the Oscars moved up from the end of, uh, well, from April and then at the end of March now into March 12th. So the 95th will be March 12th. And now we have the PGAs kind of jumping up in terms of their usual spot to February 25th. And the BAFTAs moving back a little bit to February 19th. Now, when we started the show, BAFTA was typically two weeks from the Oscars, and now they're three weeks. And when we started the show, PGAs were typically four to six weeks. They've been kind of hedging more towards the month away, uh, you know, in terms of what they've said it. And now they're they're only a couple weeks away, Mike. So they're they're much tighter. They're what is that? The 25th. I wrote it down somewhere. I'm trying to go fast here. Yeah. Now the PGAs are only two weeks away. Wow. I kind of like that. I, I mean, historically, I mean, well, look, the last two years, Nomadland and, and Coda won at the PGAs and they ended up winning Best Picture as well. So there's been kind of a one for one correlation. But I would also argue that. Coda wasn't a slam dunk to win Best Picture last year, but as we got more and more closer to Oscar Sunday, it seemed like that was the one at least everyone was polling for, and everyone, yeah, I don't know if there was an expectation, but there, nobody was surprised when that one ended up winning. Uh, but I kind of like the PGA's being closer to the Oscars award show date than further away, because there is still a strong correlation between what happens on the PGA's and what happens with Best Picture. I mean, go back to Green Book, 1917 won, but so did Green Book, Shape of Water. Like I said, I think four of the last five have been one-to-one uh, winning the PGA wins Best Picture. Here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if the PGA Awards are going to do, do, you know, start to think about a show. And I know it's not the time, but it might be the time because they're all on the same level. Because now they are avoiding, they're avoiding the Super Bowl. They're avoiding the NFL playoffs, which, I mean, I know people don't want to hear it. That has been the primary primary motivator to award season precursor scheduling in the history of our podcast they have avoided typically the big nfl playoff weekends on sundays they and we've seen this happen year time and again year after year we've seen award shows before the nfl playoffs start and then after the super bowl or in between that week in between we've seen the other award shows that's been predominantly the case you can look at every single schedule from the past years now we see the oscars unable to be where i think they want to be in mid-february based on the the award season we've talked about it but they're they're well after the Super Bowl, and they're giving their precursor shows. They're giving them a couple of weeks to kind of fit in there. And now we've seen two of the biggest shows in BAFTA and PGAs fit in there. This is just what the schedule should like. Every year, the Oscars should put themselves six weeks out from the Super Bowl, and every Sunday should be a major awards show. I mean, you'd have to have some uniformity in this. They'd have to communicate yeah. with one another. Every Sunday should be a major award show. Uh, you know, BAFTAs, Critics' Choice, PGAs. Sags, that should be I it. Like it. That should be your weekly lead up to Oscar Sunday. Well, I, they're not quite that six weeks away. They're four weeks away, maybe five. I don't know the calendar there. So, but you're close. I mean, they could still squeeze in there. And the shows that want to be early, like the the, the those who shall not be named, mm-hmm. and the maybe the Critics' Choice, they could probably do before the playoffs start, and then. Yeah, we'll have the next few. I mean, the Gotham's, the Globes, and the and the Choice probably want to be earlier anyway, don't they? I would wonder well, if Gotham's the are in December, right? I mean, they're right. Yeah, they're all they're super. So, early. I wonder if the choice would want to be earlier. 
at the at the end of the day. And then sag, then the guild sag, BAFTA, and maybe the guilds could all wind up being later. And they probably should do a big guild award show at some point. Like I said, I think that makes more sense to me in terms of kind of the build of it. You know, that the award season's got to get competitive. Darn Cut it, off voting the roster. week after Super Bowl Sunday. Give uh, some lower, below the below the line Oscars categories to other minor award shows to have people tune in to see them, get them their moments, like I pitched. Just for, let me let me run it. Okay, but <laughs> you're not allowed to run all of it. You need to bring me in. No, why am I arguing with you on this thing? We, you brought up the team. Celtics, <laughs> Michael. We do have an Academy. Uh, story to finish up here. Dawn Hudson, who announced a few years ago that she would be finishing her last now term as, a, as Academy CEO. Uh, and this is after 11 years of Dawn Hudson. Uh, basically, she has finally, or she, I don't know how <laughs> involved she is. <laughs> we have a successor, and it's the museum man, the Academy Museum curator slash you know, guy in charge of all the fundraising, Bill Kramer, who comes into power now as the Academy CEO on July 18th, a month from now. So Ann Thompson did a wonderful job covering it, talking about all of his qualifications, how indeed he's been the guy, you know, the white knight. She quoted him as the, quote, white knight who took charge and was the point man and who got this museum built and launched despite a ton of problems. And he's also done some money-making endeavors from the... All the tickets sold. I mean, the, the museum is a hit. It's a tourist hit. But also the store, which went online and done, you know, five, six million in terms of revenue. And he's launched two books. So he's someone at the Academy actually spearheading a team that's making money for the Academy. And seems to be creating some serious innovation, which is badly needed. I, I don't know. I fear that Don Hudson's legacy is going to be. Academy CEO for the sharpest decline in the show's history as far as ratings go, and then obviously marred by the black mark of what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock in this past Oscars. Um, That all happened on her watch. Her handling of it, we criticized. Uh, It wasn't the best. Their leadership, John Bailey and Dawn Hudson, didn't step up in that moment. And, yeah, it's been frustrating. So, you know, I'm sure that job, Academy CEO, is... An unenviable one. It, it cannot be an easy job. So I, for that reason, she deserves probably praise for putting up with it and being able to do it for such a long time. But, you know, I mean, if, if Bill Kramer, not that I know anything about him, but if he is the guy, the biggest innovation in the Academy in the past decade has probably been the museum. So if right. this is the guy that spearheaded that effort and was in charge for, you know, getting rallying the troops and collecting all the funds for it, then, yeah, why not see if he can parlay that into something uh, for the show itself. We're rooting for him, obviously. Uh, we're also rooting for Sundance and their new leadership, Tabitha Jackson's left for Kim Utani. We're rooting for WB with uh, DeLuca and, of course, Mr. Zaslav and Pamela Abdi there. So a lot of news on transitions, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, in the industry. We're not the experts on that. Go to IndieWire, go to Screen Talk, go to Ann Thompson and Scott Feinberg, who wrote a bunch of stuff. Board of Governors got, got re-upped, including one uh, Janet Yang, who apparently is like a front runner according to scott about who's taking over 
for Mr. Bailey, the Academy president. So this is stuff that's going to happen pretty soon. So stay tuned to Oscar Race Checkpoints. We'll maybe cover this like we have now uh, and see who succeeds Mr. Bailey, too. And as, as far as Oscar Race Checkpoints go, this is the end of part one. Part two will be coming out in another day or so. So stay tuned for that where we cover a bunch of trailers. And Mike's going to give a rundown of what he saw for himself at the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, as always, dear listener, what matters most to us for this episode are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we talked about here. Are you looking forward? Are you going to see Jurassic Park Dominion, first of all? Are you looking forward to the Madonna biopic? What are your thoughts on what's going on behind the scenes and in front of the camera with WB? Do you think Margot Quinn is done? Margot Robbie's time as Harley Quinn. Let us know all of that as well as anything else uh, MMO-related. You can leave us all those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, those truly help us out a great deal. Uh, Michael, I think I just did the what's coming next, but if you want to yeah, re- repeat that, go ahead, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Well, I kind of mentioned what I'm going to do for the next two episodes. We also got some big movies coming out that we're going to cover, whether in Oscar Race Checkpoints or mm-hmm. in Oscar Profiles, film study reviews. We got Lightyear, we got Elvis, we got The Black Phone, we got Cha-Cha Real Smooth that I already reviewed back in Sundance, but I would enjoy uh, a rewatch and certainly a film study on that with you if we want to go there. Mm-hmm. So we got the goods coming up. Obviously, we got July. We just did the box office over-unders, which was also a preview of, of the entire upcoming summer that will kind of double down on in that next episode where we hit on all the trailers so a lot of cool stuff coming we got a lot of content we have an overabundance of content coming that we will uh continue to lay out in the next episode but yeah words of wisdom is uh i would say i'm gonna i'm gonna double up on the words of wisdom as well because support the tribeca film festival i know they disappointed me at the end of the last episode before the festival started but some of these movies have really come through and i've really enjoyed them and i've really enjoyed all the help and all the people at the tribeca film fest the crowds have been fun good uh the the stars have been there all these you know stars of these movies in person talking about their films the directors i've really enjoyed it so uh yeah, Tribeca. Support them and support Sundance and all the other film festivals like it. Doing stuff at home, doing stuff in person. Really nailing it. I've, I've enjoyed it. And support us. Instead of supporting yeah. Jurassic Park Dominion, support us. Be a team player. <laughs> Please. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come, I, I guess, pour more money into the Jurassic World property <laughs> like they need it with one of us. I'm not going to do that. It's fine. I'm not bitter. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.